Hi, this is episode 55 of K-Ray Reads to You. Uh, don't forget you can visit me at my blog, www.kray.org. Today we have chapter 5 of The Apple Stone by Nicholas Stewart Gray. Chapter 5 is called The Sword and the Planets. I almost felt as if I'd been ill when I woke next day, fretful and aching. When Ragnar came and bounced on my bed, I was so nasty to him that he went away and complained to Joe. She and Missy came to see what was the matter. "'He was whining and staring at your door,' said Joe. "'I don't care if he was standing on his head, singing the soldier's chorus from Faust,' I said. "'He jumped on my stomach and he weighs a ton.' "'Douglas came in and said, "'What should we do today?' "'I said he could talk more quietly for a start.' "'He said, what was biting me?' "'Let's do the carpet in the parlor," said Missy. "'It's Persian, and we could fly on it.' "'I've had enough flying,' I growled. "'Joe said so she should hope. "'Anyway,' I added, "'it's the auntie's day.' "'Bother,' said Missy. "'Let's pretend we're ill,' suggested Douglas. "'I said, let's go. "'At least we could be sure of a bit of peace and quiet for a change.' Douglas said, "'Who wanted peace and quiet?' I said, "'I did.' We had to go, in any case. The first Sunday of each month was set aside for lunching with Dad's two aged aunts. They were about a hundred and ninety, if you added their ages together. Well, they looked it. And they seemed to enjoy our visits, so we never liked to disappoint them for any reason at all. One was called Auntie Martha, and one Auntie Johnny.' I don't know why, nor did Dad, since her real name was Mabel. They lived about twenty miles away, near Barnstaple, on a hill overlooking the estuary. They had a nice old house, with a lot of garden. After breakfast we dressed in our neatest things, and climbed into the car, and Mum drove off. She always drove going, and Dad coming back. We were crowded, but it was fun, and my headache began to go in the open air. We sang songs, and played a game of making up words from the letters in other cars' license plates, keeping them in their order. Missy was not much good at this, as she didn't know all that many words. I usually got disqualified for knowing too many. I can't help it, can I, if I like reading? The plates with ZX in them are very difficult. The aunties received us with open arms. They are both thin and tall, and old-fashioned, but very kind. And we answered their questions as sensibly as we could, even when the questions weren't sensible, like, were we being good at school? Why would we tell if we weren't? Auntie Johnny had a cairn terrier called Todd, so we'd left Ragnar at home to spare his feelings. Not Todd's, Ragnar's. Our Dane was terrified of Todd, who fell on Ragnar the moment he saw him, and tried to tear him to bits. Naturally, he didn't get far with this mad plan, as A. We all fell on Todd, and B. Ragnar had much longer legs for fleeing. Auntie Johnny also collected china. Auntie Martha had two cats, black ones, called Minnie and Annie, who were sleek creatures with green eyes and baleful stares. The reason for the latter was also Ragnar. 
He liked cats. He thought they all wanted him to bounce around them, barking, and blow at them when they rolled on their backs, as ours did. Minnie and Annie never forgave him his first and only attempt at this game with them, and he will carry the scars on his nose forever. They didn't forgive us either for owning such a brute. Auntie Martha also collected dolls. They were talking about the dolls over lunch. They asked Missy, whoops, they asked if Missy would like one, and she said, no thank you, she hated them. Darling, said Mother, she doesn't mean she hates yours, Martha, just any dolls. She prefers toy soldiers. She's a hoyden, said Dan. I'm not very fond of dolls either, said Joe, loyal to Missy. I think they're rather sinister. Darling, said Mother. Well, I do. They're like frozen babies. Like mommets, I said. Dad's aunties made curious noises, like coughing and laughing and tut-tutting all at the same time. "'Wherever did you hear about those, dear?' said Auntie Martha. "'I don't know,' I said. And I didn't know. I'd heard or read about them somewhere, but I hear or read so many things. "'What do you know about them, dear?' asked Auntie Johnny. "'People call them by other people's names, and then stick pins in them, or burn them over the flame of a black candle.' "'Darling!' said Mother.' "'Not the sort of people one chooses for one's friends,' said Dad cheerfully. "'Any of you tried it?' "'Not yet,' said Douglas, looking as if he meant to sometime. "'Witches do it,' I went on, "'when they want to put a curse on anyone.' "'Let's change the subject,' said Mother. "'Dad's aunties laughed. "'Their bright little eyes were twinkling, "'and their ancient faces were filled with merriment. "'I said,' "'Do you ever go out at midnight, great-aunties?' "'Where to, dear?' said Auntie Martha. "'Any sort of... of... black tours, for instance?' "'Later Joe said that they said, "'Tours, dear, but I thought, and still do, that they said, "'Of course, dear.' "'I let Mum change the subject.' When lunch was over, the two old ladies went off for their afternoon naps, and we had a look around the garden. There was a fine view over the valley, with the wide mouth of the Taw gleaming flatly in high tide and sunshine. Big clouds sailed the horizon, going toward the sea. Gulls were crying overhead like cats, and Auntie Martha's cats were wailing like gulls to get attention. But when we offered them some, they remembered Ragnar, and stalked away haughtily. Then Dad drove us home, and we sang sea shanties. Because it was Sunday, we had afternoon tea with the parents. Then we went down to the village to post some letters that Dad had forgotten to post in Barnstaple. As we passed the old church, Nigel suddenly announced that it was haunted. Joe said he was out of his mind, making up tales like that to scare Missy. Missy said she wasn't scared, she liked ghosts. I asked when she'd ever met one. She said she hadn't yet, but was prepared to like them if she did. Douglas said there were no such things, and Nigel said, "'What about banshees?' Douglas said that was different. I said, apart from all that, "'What was supposed to haunt the church?' "'Someone crying,' said Nigel. "'Rubbish,' I said. 
"'Surely you can invent something more likely than that. "'No one would go haunting a church. "'I mean, people used to pray at them to make them go away. "'I think they still do.' "'Douglas said he'd go away if prayed at, "'and I said that was not the point.' "'It's very silly to talk about things we don't understand,' said Joe sternly. "'And Nigel should know better.' "'Look, it's n not my ghost,' he protested. "'I was t t told about it.' "'By whom?' demanded Joe. "'He mumbled something so inaudible "'that it was obvious he was making it all up. "'Let's go and look,' said Missy. "'How can you l look at crying?' said Nigel crossly. "'Well, listen,' said Missy. "'It was cool and quiet inside the church. "'Nothing stirred. Nothing cried. "'We walked slowly all around it, "'with Ragnar pacing at our heels, "'and we stopped by the crusader. "'We were rather fond of him. "'He lay full length, carved in alabaster, "'with his shield beside him, "'and his sword-hilt under his crossed hands.' In spite of all the hundreds of years that had gone over the statue, making holes and crinkles in the stone, and blurring details, it was extraordinary how much was still there to see. The chasing on the hilt, the intricate links of chain-mail, the conical helmet with its broken nose-piece, even the finger-nails on his hands. And, most of all, the thin, stern face, whose human look somehow hadn't been destroyed by the loss of the nose." "'I'll tell you something,' said Joe presently. "'I bet nothing much could haunt the church with him in it.' "'A statue couldn't do much to discourage a live ghost,' said Douglas. "'How could a g ghost be alive?' Nigel wanted to know. "'This led to a fierce, although subdued, argument between the clans, "'which Joe broke up by saying if a ghost could exist, a statue could have power, "'one being as unlikely as the other.' Neither of our cousins could think of anything. Whoops! Neither of our cousins could think of any answer to this, so they shut up. We looked at the other statue on the tomb, the lady who lay alongside the crusader. She had long, thin hands like his, but pressed together as if praying. Her face was a bit stern too, but it may have been because she was made of stone. The patterns on her dress could still be made out clearly here and there. "'If something does cry here,' said Missy, "'his wife would be kind to it.' "'How do you make that out?' said Joe. "'She's got a kind dimple by her mouth.' "'It's a crack,' said Douglas. "'And anyone might have a dimple and be absolutely beastly,' I added. "'A kind, low voice—whoops, golly!' "'A soft, low voice broke in, saying—' "'Yes, she was very kind.' "'And out of the shadows of the side-chapel came a dim figure. "'We all went rather rigid, but Ragnar waved his tail. "'Hello, my dears,' said the verger. "'Oh, Mr. Hurst,' said Joe. "'We thought you were a ghost,' giggled Missy. "'He laughed, too. "'He said he took that as a compliment, seeing how fat he was. "'And Missy said, "'Why couldn't a ghost be just as fat?' "'and Joe cut in quickly to ask if he minded Ragnar being in the church. "'He said he didn't. "'I'd be glad to see some humans as quiet and dignified as that great dog,' said he. 
Actually, the Dane was a bit quelled by the dim light, which made him seem more stately than he really was. "'But you were looking at Lord Amory's lady,' said Mr. Hurst, "'and you were right about her nature. She did a lot for people hereabouts, founded a hospital, she did, and a school for poor children, and wore herself out, and died too soon, good soul.' "'Why did Lord Amory let her?' said Joe indignantly. "'Ah, well, he wasn't about, was he? He was away off on that crusade.' "'Did he return too late?' said Nigel, in a dramatic whisper. The verger looked slightly vague. "'Tisn't rightly known what did happen, for sure,' said he. "'The family died out long ago, and their great house is naught but some bits of ruined walls. You know as much as I do.' "'There's just the tomb here, and a few tales that may or may not be truth. "'But if Lord Amory did come back after the years of fighting to find only an empty home— "'Ah, well,' he sighed, "'there's grief in the world, and always has been.' "'He nodded kindly to us, and went out of the church. "'After a moment or two, Joe put her hand on the hand of the stone lady. "'Shall we ask her about it?' said she. There was another pause. Then I said, "'If he outlived her, he'd know more.' "'Will he be cross if we wake him?' "'He doesn't look cross. He looks—' "'Dour?' suggested Douglas. "'Austere,' I said. Joe came around the tomb, and she took the apple-stone from its place, and laid it against the cheek of the crusader.' In the small light that seeped through the windows from the dying day outside, the effigy started to change. A shimmer of movement swept over it, the blurred outline broadened and lengthened, the time-worn details were sharpened and elaborated. The chain-mail became darker, and was metal instead of alabaster. The hands and face became a sun-tanned brown. Now that it was alive, I must admit the face was better with a nose." Lord Amory opened his eyes, of so light a grey that they looked quite colourless in that dark face. He didn't seem cross at all, or even austere. He seemed a bit alarmed when he saw us standing there. He sat upright, with a creak and a jingle of armour, and swung his legs sideways so that he sat across his tomb. This move dislodged his shield, and it fell on the floor with a clatter. Douglas and Nigel banged their heads together as they rushed to pick it up. Lord Amory drew a long breath. "'Let it lie there,' said he, in a deep and pleasant voice. "'I have no need of weapons. You are children.' "'No,' said Missy and Douglas together. "'I didn't mean little children,' said the crusader. "'It was a very general term, and not intended to offend your sensibilities.' The creases at the sides of his nose and mouth deepened as he smiled. He had a gentle sort of face, not as thin as when he was a statue, but still thin enough. He put up both hands, took off his helmet, and then pushed back the chain-mail hood, which he wore under it, to lie in metal folds on his shoulders. He had a big scar stretching from his left eyebrow and vanishing into his hair at the right. And his hair was white, yet he didn't look all that old." "'Tell me who you are,' said he. "'I introduced my relatives and myself, "'and he said he was pleased to see us. "'Then he flexed his shoulders, "'and Missy asked if he was stiff, 
through being made of stone so long. He gave a quiet laugh. It was not I, said he, but a mere likeness, and not so flattering at that. They simplified you, said Nigel. They made a pattern, not a portrait. It's the custom, smiled the crusader, and truly, by the time one becomes an effigy on a tomb, it's late to grumble. Then he glanced for the first time at the other statue. Honora, he said under his breath. Shall we wake her too? asked Missy. Lord Amory looked thoughtful, and after a moment he said slowly, No, no, she's busy elsewhere, and would not thank you for disturbing her. She was always busy. She never had time to chat, to play, to amuse herself or anyone else. Didn't you like her? said Douglas. He got a reproachful hiss from Joe, and a quick look from Lord Amory. Like her? said the latter. No one could like or dislike Honora. One endured. Oh dear, said Joe. She was a very good, kind woman, said the crusader, rapidly. I'm not criticizing, but. But you went to the crusade, I said. I went to the crusade. Ragnar, who had been keeping very quiet in a pew, now emerged, growling low in his throat, and I said to the crusader that it was all right, he didn't bite. At least he hadn't yet. As long as he doesn't bark, said Lord Amory, I don't care for noise. And he put his hand on the Dane's great neck and told him to hush. He was trying to tell us that someone's coming, said Joe. The crusader stood up. He was fairly tall, and looked bigger than he really was because of his armor, his surcoat, and the helmet in his hand. Do we fear this someone? said he. Well, I told him, it's just that there'll be a lot of argument and questions if they see you. Let us go elsewhere, he said quickly. At all costs, avoid argument. Douglas had darted to the little side door and opened it to peer outside. Main door, Nigel, said he. And Nigel went racing down the aisle to the arch of the front entrance. He'll hold them, said Douglas. Come on, this way. We went. The crusader rattled a bit, but he moved easily enough for all the weight of his mail. He left his shield and helmet on his tomb and pressed one hand to his sword to stop it clanking against his side. As we left the church, I heard Nigel at the far end employing his best delaying tactics on someone. Could you possibly tell me that he could keep this sort of thing up indefinitely? We went along under the wall at the back of the church. It was already twilight, and the ancient yew trees and beeches made shadows as black as night. At the end of a flagged pathway between the gravestones, there was a wooden bench against the churchyard wall, and here we waited until Nigel came running to join us. He gasped excitedly, Miss Minter to practice the organ, she she she. You've done your bit, I said. Relax. She saw the statue gone, he gulped. Well, that's torn it then. And I said it had gone to the cleaners. Did she believe you? She had to. It was gone. 
but what about the helmet and the shield?' I said. "'I told her they were spares.' "'Joe said in a worried voice that Miss Minter would tell the verger. "'No, she won't,' said Douglas confidently. "'Her memory's as short as a pin. "'She won't give any of it another thought once she starts on her old music, "'and it'll be pitch dark by now in the tomb corner. "'No one will notice.' "'It's almost pitch dark here, too,' said Joe, with an uneasy glance round about. "'Let's go home,' said Missy, "'in case of crying.' "'We all glanced around uneasily, including the crusader. "'He said, "'Let us not have anyone crying. I hate tears.' "'Have you ever heard?' began Joe. "'I've heard too many,' said the knight. "'Too often. It makes me sad to think of it.' "'and there's so little any one can ever do. "'Where are we going now?' he asked, "'changing the subject before Joe could say any more. "'Let's go over the fields to the barn,' said Douglas. "'Then we aren't likely to meet any one, "'especially if we go through the kitchen garden "'instead of the farmyard. "'Once Lord Amory is safe in the barn.' "'Who's Lord Amory?' said Lord Amory. "'You are,' said everyone else except Ragnar. "'No, no,' "'I am Sir Amius, merely. "'No nobleman. "'I was a farming squire of Devon "'until the king knighted me, "'mistaking me for another man "'who had just saved his life.' "'Our looks of astonishment seemed to amuse him. "'He said, "'It was no use trying to explain. "'Richard would never admit he was wrong. "'He'd just have made a lot of noise and fuss, "'and the thing was done anyway.' "'Oh, of course you knew him. "'Richard the Lionheart!' "'breathed Missy. "'She'd seen a fancy sort of film "'and adored the hero it had portrayed. "'I knew him,' said Sir Amias, rather dryly. "'A wind ran coldly through the trees. "'Something gave a long screech that started above our heads "'and faded into the gathering dark. "'An owl,' I said. "'I think.' "'We left the churchyard.' "'Coming over the fields, we got a bit delayed by the boggy bit. "'The crusader wasn't dressed for it. "'He very politely picked up Missy to keep her feet dry, "'and I bet he wished he hadn't when his first leap took him knee-deep. "'He had an awful job to clamber out of the mud. "'Douglas said he was soaked to the skin, "'and Joe said he was always soaked to the skin "'if he came within a mile of the smallest puddle. "'I said it would keep him warm if he ran on ahead "'to make sure the coast was clear.' He ran. Then Nigel announced that the heel of his shoe had come off. Missy complained that she'd bumped her nose on the chain-mail. I said it would have been calmer to stay and face the arguments in the church. "'No, no,' said Sir Amias. "'Anything but argument. Even this quibbling makes my head ache.' "'I like arguments,' said Nigel. The crusader gave him a look of mild horror, and said— each to his own taste. Douglas met us in the kitchen garden. He said our parents had some people in the house, and were entertaining them with sherry. We would be expected to wash and change and have dinner with some of them later, which I'd forgotten. But there was still a bit of time before this doom fell on us. Then I noticed that the crusader had stopped. He was sniffing deeply. "'There's rosemary,' he said. "'That's for remembrance,' I quoted automatically. "'Why, so it is,' said he. 
under the sign of the sun, it clears the mind, quickens the senses, and restores dimming sight. Oh, do hurry, said Joe. We're awfully near the house here, and someone might come. But Sir Amias was stooping over another plant that was almost invisible in the gloom. He broke off a few leaves and smelled them. I could smell them too. Southern wood. I liked it, though not everybody did. It was sweet and sharp and sickly. Under mercury, stated the knight, and the scent will drive away serpents. Mixed with oil, its ashes can cure baldness. Let's give Dad some, said Missy. Let's talk about it in the barn, I said. Unfortunately, Joe now became interested in what Sir Amias was saying about the herbs, and she was egging him on. What's this one used for? said she. Catmint? Why, for rooms, child, and so is lovage of the sun, strong against the cold of the great planet Saturn. You should eat lovage, he told Nigel, for it can remove freckles. I thought this would annoy my cousin, as he's rather sensitive, but he merely picked another sprig of herbs from somewhere and handed it to Sir Amias, who said, Lavender, belonging to Mercury, for fainting and toothache. Rue, under Leo, that removes warts. Are you a doctor? said Joe, or an astrologer? A student, said he. One must know the courses of the stars in order to heal. Where did you learn all this? From the Saracen doctors, and they from Gallen the Greek. Who was he? said Joe. You do not know of Gallen? The knight sounded amazed. Ah, he said, perhaps you incline rather to the views of Dioscorides. Not entirely, said Joe. Couldn't we go into all this later? I begged. But Sir Amias and Joe were browsing together over the herbs. I wondered how to make the crusader pay attention. It would be impolite to lay down the law to one of the champions of Christendom, and yet. Douglas felt no such restraint. He had very little respect for any one. He said now, impatiently, Get a move on, you idiots! Someone's coming! If you want to fight! Ah, no! said the crusader. He came back to us quickly, with Joe at his heels, and we hurried to the wicket gate that led to the back of the barn. But it was too late. Footsteps clattered on the brick path behind us, and a shrill, affected voice said, Children! Children! I can hear you! Who's there with you? No one replied. None of us cared much for Miss Donaby. She was a scrawny little spinster, like a fussy old hen, who lived nearby. She considered herself artistic, and she made things awful things for charity sales and fairs, like rhubarb jam that didn't set properly and was all runny and sticky, lopsided crochet doilies, and potpourri that went bad and smelled worse. She painted horrible little pictures of the moors that made the wild places look like birthday cards. In fact, the only success she'd ever had was with a cake for a raffle. And people were still talking about it. She was quite the silliest person we'd ever met. And now there she stood in our herb garden, facing Sir Amias in the twilight and twittering excitedly. Oh, I know who you are. You're the scoutmaster. No one said anything, and she gave a high giggle and clapped her hands together. You're in disguise. Do tell me why. What a very effective costume, too. 
When she still got no answer, she peered at us more closely, and gave a slightly nervous twitter. <laughs> titter. She said, "'Wicked things, you're trying to puzzle me. Do let me play. You know how I adore little games. Perhaps I could dress up, too,' she added coyly. Then she got fed up with us. "'You're being very sly,' she snapped. "'I'm surprised at you, Mr. Gammon, creeping about in the dark, in a lot of knitted string armor, and encouraging children to be impolite to their elders. Kindly answer my questions now, or I'll fetch someone from the house. Just exactly what are you doing here?' "'Er,' said the champion weakly. "'We're looking at the garden,' growled Nigel. "'In the middle of the night?' she sneered. "'The night's in the garden,' said Douglas, "'and your watch is fast.' "'We're rehearsing,' said Joe hurriedly, "'rehearsing our school play, my school play. "'It's all about the round table and that.' "'I thought this extremely bright of her, "'but Miss Donaby didn't like it. "'She gave a disbelieving sniff, "'and said it was news to her "'that Mr. Gammon was a pupil at the high school for girls.' Joe said he was only helping. "'Coaching us,' said she, gathering conviction, "'and showing us how to wear the costumes and swords and stuff. "'And please, please don't tell anyone, because it's a terrific secret.' "'Why?' said Miss Donaby. Joe couldn't think why, nor could I. And Douglas said, "'Oh, people always like to make other people think they've done all the clever things on their own, like Nigel, when he copies a painting and pretends he made it up.' "'Like de Douglas,' said Nigel, when he sneaked that arithmetic book into the exam. "'Like you, Miss Donaby,' said Missy unexpectedly. "'When you bought that raffle cake from Fuller's, I saw the label when the postman took it to your house.' There was a fairly thoughtful silence." Then Miss Donaby gave a feeble giggle. "'Little joke,' she said vaguely. Then she said in a bright voice that she really must get back to her house in case someone had drunk her lovely sherry. She said everyone must be missing her. She said she'd only slipped out for a breath of air. She said she should go and keep the party cheerful. She fell over a clump of fennel and nearly went down, but she managed to keep her balance and minced off, muttering that people must certainly keep secrets, no matter how dishonestly they'd come by them, and she herself would never betray any, however infantile, stealthy, ridiculous. Her voice died away, somewhere between the words play-acting and blackmail. We took our subdued crusader to the barn. "'Damask roses,' I heard him murmuring, "'mingled with agaric for melancholic humours.' "'Whether he was considering this remedy for himself "'or for Miss Donaby, I couldn't say. "'Later we came back, bringing him milk "'that we'd taken from the kitchen, "'and some bread and butter and apples. "'We're sorry we've been so long,' apologized Joe. "'We just couldn't get away, what with parents and dinner.' "'Did you hate it, all alone here in the dark?' "'Sir Amias said he'd been very comfortable and happy. "'There's so much peace in the scent of hay,' said he, "'and the moon has kept me company, "'not to speak of other friends over there.' "'He nodded toward the box stalls, "'where nine young calves were rustling in their bedding. 
"'We'd brought some lumps of sugar for Bob the cart-horse, "'and he whickered with pleasure from another box-stall. "'He was looking pleased with himself, "'and his black coat was shining in the light of my flashlight, "'which I kept switched on. "'I've been brushing him down,' said the crusader. "'Bob likes that,' said Joe. "'I liked it, too. "'We agreed well together, Bob and I. "'I've been calling him Roland.' "'The name of my own horse,' said Sir Amias. "'He was a black one, too, but he died.' "'In battle?' asked Douglas. "'No, no, long after. "'It was age, not wounds, that ended his life. "'The Saracens called him Monster. "'He was three times as big as their beasts.' "'Sir Amias had come to join us "'where we leaned over the gate into Bob's box. "'He leaned, too.' "'and the cart-horse rubbed his cheek against the gate-post "'and made friendly breathing noises. "'They admired him, though,' went on the knight. "'For all his weight and lack of speed, he was kind and strong. "'They were good to him. "'And to me,' he said a bit sadly. "'We all looked at him, and he smiled. "'He said he feared we were disappointed. "'You look to hear tales of heroism and glory,' said he. THE VICTORY OF THE BRAVE AND GOOD AGAINST THE BAD BARBARIANS. NO WAR IS QUITE LIKE THAT, AND THE SORT WITH WHICH I WAS EMBROILED WAS FAR OTHERWISE, I DO ASSURE YOU. YOU SPOKE AS THOUGH YOU LIKED THE SARACENS, SAID JOE. AND SO I DID. BUT WEREN'T THEY CRUEL AND EVIL, SAID MISSY, ROUND-EYED WITH SURPRISE. Our crusader turned away, and sat down rather heavily on some bales of hay. He looked quietly grand in the lamplight, with his armour gleaming dully, and his white hair and scarred brow. He hitched his sword forward, so that he could lean his arms on the pommel. "'It seems time changes nothing,' said he. "'I know how many years have hurried by since my day ended in that time.' I know the power you hold that has brought me here, in my shape as I was then, and almost I think that I myself can hear myself speaking as a child again, in terms of war, with good against bad, and always the eternal assumption that we are good, and they are bad. Dear my God in heaven, he sighed, is no lesson ever learned? But Saracens, said Douglas. "'People,' said the crusader. "'Just eating, sleeping, loving, talking people, "'like those of the civilized world. "'Oh, yes, we named them heathen and infidel. "'They had other words for things, you see. "'But as for cruelty—' "'And he laughed a bit bleakly. "'Surely some of our doings are on the record.' "'Yes,' I said, THE MASSACRE OF THE PRISONERS, A THOUSAND UNARMED. RICHARD HELPED, SAID SIR AMIAS. HE FEARED TO BE THOUGHT SOFT, AND HE KILLED WITH HIS OWN HANDS, AND YET HE COULD BE AS GENTLE, AS KIND, AND, HEAVEN KNOWS, AS HUMAN, AS ANY LIVING SOUL ON EARTH. ALL MEN CONTAIN ALL NATURES IN THEMSELVES, SAID HE. DID YOU GET FED UP WITH IT ALL? I ASKED HIM. DID YOU JUST COME HOME WHEN YOU WERE WOUNDED? He told us. And while he spoke, my mind went wandering out of the dim barn, with the smell of hay, the sounds of the calves rustling and breathing, and the faces of the others in the glow of the flashlight. 
I saw churned dust and violent sunshine, and a turmoil of horses and men. I heard the shouting and the sudden horrifying screaming. I felt the heat and fear and anger. There rode Sir Amias, high on a huge black horse that rose on its hind legs and struck furiously with the front hooves, fighting, as its master was fighting, against a wave of fast moving men on thin, fast horses. And then there was Sir Amias in the dust, and his destrier standing snorting over him. They took me into captivity, said the deep, gentle voice of the knight in the old barn. And because of my knighthood, They didn't know there'd been a mistake. They offered to exchange me for a high ransom. But I managed to talk them out of this idea. I said no one could raise the money, so they might as well kill me. Oh, no! cried Missy. Joe said, Surely the Lady Honora could have found the ransom money. And Sir Amias said it was quite likely. But everyone in the countryside would have been left the poorer for it, said he. And she, my wife, well, I would never have been allowed to forget what I owed her, so I, and you must blame me if you will, so I stayed where I was. A captive, said Douglas. How long? Always. I said, You mean you never did go home? I never went home. Oh, said Joe. I went to the crusade for peace and quiet, said Sir Amias. And I stayed for peace and quiet. Different men go to war for different reasons. That was mine. Missy eyed him curiously, and then said, What about Richard Lionheart? Oh, he liked fighting. He really enjoyed every moment of it, said the crusader. It was all he ever wanted, and what Richard wanted he usually got. He started his wars when he was twelve years old by rebelling against his father. Then he fought his brother. He fought just about every one. But wasn't he a splendid king? began Douglas. Of what? Of whom? said the knight gently. He spent no longer in England than a few weeks out of his whole life. He spoke no English at all. All he demanded from there and from his French domain was tax money wrung from his people to pay for his wars. His popularity, such as it was, he owed to the fact that the English love a fighter, and that they certainly had. Missy, sitting beside him on the hay bales, looked depressed. I had known for some time that the first Richard was by no means an ideal monarch, but my little sister had seen him through the rosy spectacles of romantic fiction. It seemed that Josephine had done the same, for she now sighed and said, Couldn't his Queen Berengaria do anything to keep him in order? Poor soul, what chance had she? said Sir Amias. She only met him twice, once when they were married, when he went away the same day and left her alone, and once again when she followed him to Acre, and public opinion forced him to have dinner with her. The king had little interest in women, except for one, his sister, and she was another Plantagenet, as wild as himself. Joe looked as depressed as Missy. The crusader gave them an apologetic smile and said, He liked children, in an offhand way. If Berengaria had ever been allowed near enough, he might have liked her, for she was a childish soul. She married him for love, because of all the romantic songs she'd heard, and he married her for her dowry. 
oh, not just for the money itself, to spend on his wars. Was Blondel childish, I said? There must have been some liking between them for the minstrel to go searching Europe. He was a singer and a soldier, said Sir Amias, and he got all that he wanted from the king, because he asked nothing at all. Richard would not be constrained or influenced by wife or friend or persuasion or force. He preferred to stand alone. Nigel muttered that he felt like that himself sometimes. He was brave, went on the knight, if heroism exists without imagination. He was generous when he wished to be, gentle when it suited his whim, bull-headed and savage when he chose. He was Lionheart. "'Did you like him?' said Joe. "'No, but I loved him.' Then Sir Amias began to tell us how he himself had studied among the Saracen people their ways with medicine and surgery and the prevention and diagnosis of illness. "'Such things had always held my interest,' said he, "'and there was more knowledge in the East than in the West. "'When I grew to be old, and had learned a little and practised much, "'they called me the healer. It pleased me far more than my accidental knighthood. He smiled, and then the smile faded. I am grieved to hear from you that the hearts of the young are still with the battles. It's because of all the tales and legends and stuff, I said. They only tell of the banners and trumpets, not of the horror and loss." Jo put her hand on his, and assured him that she personally intended to become a vet. She then explained what this meant, and he looked pleased. He asked if she knew about the herbs and the stars. She said she'd just started studying. This was true. She'd started a few hours ago. Then Nigel said he was an artist, and added that, although he liked painting battles, he was quite prepared to knock off a few flower-pieces, if that would make Sir Amias happy. The knight said gravely that it made him very happy. Missy announced that she was going to live on a star, and started telling him about the bleep. He hadn't the foggiest idea what she was talking about. She hadn't much idea herself. She was half asleep anyway. And Douglas looked defiantly into the crusader's eyes, his ambition being, at the moment, to be a soldier. "'Ah, well,' said Sir Amias, "'courage is always good in any form.' "'And you?' he said, turning to look at me. "'I mumbled that I didn't know. "'I just read things and write things, and my mind wanders.' "'Joe said quickly that I only meant I had an active imagination, "'not that I was around the bend. "'She then explained what around the bend meant, "'and he laughed for a long time. "'He said reassuringly that he thought we were all fairly sane.' Then he said, "'What time was our bedtime?' He was looking at Missy's drooping head. "'Hers is long past,' I told him. "'So is ours, really. But we've had some late evenings, because of the apple-stone. That's what we used to wake you, you know. Did you ever hear anything about it in the crusading time?' He nodded. "'I believe there was some tale among the Saracens,' he said. "'But it's hard to tell where magic starts and finishes. There are so many marvels in the world.' "'And now,' he stated firmly, "'to-night must end quietly, "'and you must all go to your sleep.' "'We protested. 
Joe said she wanted to hear more about the herbs and the planets, and Sir Amias said he was sure she could find experts on these matters in her own day and time. And Douglas demanded more details of the old battles, but was told to stick to ballads if he wished to keep his illusions. Nigel said none of us would ever manage to sleep, even if we did go to bed. The crusader said he could give us a recipe that would help. Take the shells of poppies and boil them together with water and honey. Sounds delicious, said Douglas. I wondered uneasily how I could explain to his father that he'd become an opium addict. We can't go off and leave you here, said Joe, all alone in the dark. Sir Amias said he was used to it. But when we sleep, I said, the power of the stone will go, and you'll be back in your stone effigy. Sir Amias said he wouldn't, not exactly. I merely return to my own place and time, he added, not in the old years, nor in these, but otherwhere. I do hope it's nice and quiet there, said Joe fervently. Sir Amias smiled and said it was. It would be if he's dead, observed Nigel. We told him to shut up, and Sir Amias said he was by no means dead. Can you use your knowledge of healing still? asked Joe. Sir Amias said he used his knowledge still, and was learning still. I'll just stay here a while, said he, in the barn, among the scents and sounds of England, for those I did miss greatly in the East. This is a happy place among the quiet beasts, and here I shall be content until I go to my own place. We didn't want to leave him, but he spoke with such gentle authority that none of us could resent or disobey it. He stooped to Missy, and she gave him a large and sleepy kiss. He held Joe's hands and looked at them, and said they might well be those of a healer. He said good night to the rest of us, including Ragnar. And so we left him, sitting on the hay, his mail and his white hair gleaming in the departing lamplight, the scar scarcely showing on his brow, and his hands folded on the pommel of the great sword that he seemed unused to wearing. As soon as we got to our rooms, I forced Douglas to hand over the poppy heads he'd snatched in the garden. Even without the aid of these, we all slept very peacefully that night. Joe said later that she dreamed of the stars. Missy, that she dreamed of the big horses. Douglas, of the swords and the flying banners and the pipes of war. Nigel dreamed of Richard, who stood alone and would not be constrained. And I dreamed of the man who went to the Crusades for peace and quiet, and found them there. I don't know what Ragnar dreamed about, but he snored happily on my feet all night long. And that's the end of chapter 5 of The Apple Stone. See you next time.